You're listening to Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information, check out chrisblair.com. In this episode, I'm sitting down with my buddy Matt Rogers. Matt has songs recorded by Randy Hauser, Brett Eldridge, Jimmy Allen, Brad Paisley, Justin Moore, Luke Bryan, Dustin Lynch, Chris Young, Dylan Scott, Gary Allen, Mitchell Tenpenny, many, many more. I could go on and on. So far, four of those songs have gone number one in the U.S. and five number ones in Canada. Plus, just recently, right after we recorded this podcast, he won his first Grammy on February 5th with the smash hit, Till You Can't, that he wrote for Cody Johnson. We're going to talk about all of that in this episode. We're going to talk about the story behind that song. We're going to talk about the story behind We Went, that he wrote for Randy Hauser, The Long Way for Brett Eldridge, how he got into songwriting in the first place and was writing two to three songs a day. I love this guy so much. Let's get to it. Here's Matt Rogers. Hey guys, this is Chris Blair, and I'm back here with another Stories Behind the Songs with my buddy Matt Rogers. Matt, good so good to have you, dude. Uh, always a pleasure. Man, so let's uh let's go back and like just kind of start from the beginning. You've got, you know, you've got cuts by Dylan Scott. Um, Cody Johnson, Jimmy Allen. I mean, I, I can go on and on. You got like 15 cuts or something like that. Plus <laughs> yeah. like three number ones or four number ones or something uh, like four, that in Canada. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, four here. And I think five in Canada. Yeah. So, uh, man, it's like the success has just been amazing. Let's go back to like, as a kid, when did you figure out you wanted to do this? Um, uh, my dad gave me a guitar, I think when I was in fifth grade something like that um i was always trying to figure out harmonies because he listened to like a lot of the eagles the beatles so i would kind of sit around trying to figure out harmony and i think he just put two and two together gave me a guitar and i just started playing um i never liked taking lessons because it felt too structured so i'd always try to learn things by ear um and i think uh if you're a musician and you you play an instrument inevitably you start trying to write music yeah and yeah, so it was pretty early on. I would definitely say fifth grade, sixth grade was when I really started diving into music. And where was this? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, for any office fans, I grew up very close to Scranton. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, right on the Pennsylvania New York border. That's awesome. Yep. So when did you make the move to Nashville then? So um, I went to grad school at Syracuse for journalism. And when I got done, um, I was just applying to jobs all over the country, uh, magazines, newspapers, online publication. And the one job uh, that hired me, uh, the one company that hired me was in Brentwood. So I didn't move here to write songs. I moved here because it was the one company that gave me a job out of grad school. And with student loans breathing down your neck, you got yeah. <laughs> to take, take it as it comes. But it was, man, the job sucked. It was like a healthcare magazine. I had to edit their newsletter at like 4.30 every morning. Oh, so a uh, wow. 24, 25-year-old musician, that's that's not a, uh, that's not a good no. job to have. Wasn't good for nightlife, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But man, what a blessing. Like moves you to Nashville. The, yeah. The Mecca. Yeah. Um, I think if you have... Uh, a musical bone in your body, Nashville inevitably just pulls it out of you. Yeah. And so I'm, um, yeah, I knew, I, I knew quickly that I was going to stay here and pursue it. So you were writing before you came here. I was. So w were you just by yourself or were you co-writing at that point? No. Um, it's funny how co-writing works when you move to Nashville. Because yeah. I think people who move here, 
you always start out writing songs mostly in your bedroom, you yep. know, or garage band shit like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would write stuff by myself. But then I started going to New York City. I met a producer there. Worked for Clive Davis at the time. Um, so I was writing more of that blue-eyed soul, more R&B stuff. It was awesome. I mean, I got to hang out at Sony Manhattan. Um, I knew quickly that I liked writing music. So, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you get here, and then, and then you quickly learn like the the co-writing part of it and going yeah. in the room. Uh, that was weird for me when I first started. Like, you know, same thing. Like, I wrote before I moved here, but mm-hmm. you know, then all of a sudden you're sitting in a in a room and sharing ideas. It was, you know, like how was that for you? Like the first couple times you did that. Um, I, it was pretty seamless for me. Uh, you know, some of the the first guys I met, interestingly enough, they're the guys I play here all the time with Adam Craig, Casey Timmer. Um, and they were doing exactly what I was doing, just trying to figure it out. So I think once you meet a circle of people that you vibe well with, it is pretty easy to co-write. Um, now, you're going to have some nightmare co-writes yeah, too, yeah. but uh, um, it was never a problem with me. I've always enjoyed co-writing. Um, it is, it's a democracy most of the time in Nashville, and that's why I love it because uh, once you get with guys you're very comfortable with, you can shoot down ideas, they can shoot you down, you work towards yep. a common goal. Yep. And that's what co-writing is all about. It has to be a democracy. 100%. So um, let's walk through uh, for all the listeners, like what it was like getting your first pub deal mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then take me from that to the first uh, real cut you got. Um, the first publishing deal I got was you know, it is one of those rare right place, right time moments. Um, I, I was writing with uh, a friend of mine, Jay Brunswick. Jay's probably played here. Yep. Um, they were, it was a company called Better Angels, and they were filming a, a documentary on like a publishing startup. So there was a film crew from LA there. Um, so when I got there, I showed up early and I told him, I'm like, I'll just sit in the hall. You guys get your footage. And he's like, no, 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 come in and play a song. And I was, I told him, okay, no problem. So I played and the publisher basically signed me on the spot. Now the publisher, Rob, I just have to say, he signed a lot of people on the spot. So <laughs> that was his thing. But it did give me my first publishing deal. And, um, you know, moving here with a master's degree, I could have found, you know, gainful employment benefits and all that. But I was working shit jobs just to, to get a publishing deal, you know. I was, you know, bar backing and I was working at a warehouse for like $6 an hour every morning. So I was doing, I was doing the grunt work. Um, so when I finally got the publishing deal, it didn't pay me a lot, but I think when you can sign a deal, at least to some degree, it validates you as a songwriter. Like, okay, now I can say I could pursue this as a career. Yeah. And, um, and then, yeah, you just write at that time. I mean, I was doing doubles and triples every day because I had nothing else to do. I was just writing, writing, writing. Um, my first cut was a bluegrass cut with a group called the Roy's. And then my first, like, Oh yeah. I remember gr- them. Yeah. They, they used to play a lot. They were great. They yeah. Had a song called coal mining man. I wrote it with Lee. Um, and it was, it was actually great. It was up for like some kind of bluegrass song of the year. Yeah. Really cool. I mean, I, you're not going to buy a house off of bluegrass cut, but, uh, my first like Nashville cut, um, was Dustin Lynch. And which yeah. is crazy because. When I used to bar back, it was a place called The Long Shot on uh, Demumbrian. Yep. Dustin was the house band every Saturday night. And, you know, it, it, you come full circle, and Dustin and I just found out we have the one and two most spun media-based songs of the year. So you go from 
you know, house band <laughs> and a bar yeah. back yeah. to, you know, two songs being spun more than any other songs in the genre, which is crazy. I texted him the other day. I was like, can you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Man. It's, it's wild. So, um, so that's your first cut. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's kind of like, you know, pub deal. Um, all of a sudden, it's like you – you you have some uh some some stuff behind you at that point you know yeah. it's like everybody is like oh okay great so you're a legit songwriter then you get that cut and mm-hmm. then it's like the next step yeah um and then um you know you've had you've had tons of success uh since then the last um, few years have been like really good yeah it takes forever. It, it does. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, you, if you're writing doubles and triples a day, like, you know, you got to write, you know, 100 songs to get, you know, yeah. one okay one, right? I think so. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I've always gotten cuts sparingly, uh, but landing the single, my first single was uh, Randy Hauser, uh, a song called We Went. And, um, you know, getting a single is always exciting. But you're always thinking about the next step. You're like, okay, is radio going to like it? Yeah. And then if it's stalling in the 40s, you're like, okay, is my first single going to be a flop? So you sit around, and it's, it's a very nerve-wracking experience. And at, even after all this time, having multiple singles, I still get just as antsy. And uh, and, I, and I'm and i constantly worried about, is the song going to crack top 20? Is it going to go? And then once it gets in the top 10, all you worry about is number one. And it's, it's just never, it never changes. It doesn't change for any, most songwriters I know are always concerned about the next step. Yeah. I, I've exciting. not been concerned about that yet because I've never gotten there, but. Well, you know, you, you, one of these days you'll be sitting at home and somebody will just call you and say, hey, guess we just got our song. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about, um, let's talk about that first number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, just kind of the ride watching that, and uh, and maybe the story behind that song. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, the Randy thing happened. I was writing with Justin Wilson and John King. Uh, I've known Justin forever. Great um, dude, he, he is man. One of the best, one of the best singers this town has ever seen. Yeah. I, oh I, man, I, he I, always, I, I always tell Justin every time I ride with him, I'm like, "Will you just get a record deal? Just, yeah, please." Um, it was the crazy thing about we went is. Justin had this weird clap thing he was doing. And he, uh, he was just like, man, I love this groove. And my wife and I were watching Grease the night before, and I loved the song Grease is the Word. I, I, I love the chords in it. Uh, they're, they're very 70s feeling. And I was just playing chords like that over Justin's little clap thing he was doing, and we just spit together a bunch of these bunch of these verses. And it, it happened very fast. And if you listen to We Went, there's a lot of lyrics, yeah. tons of them. Um, and every time I play it live, my gag is it, it, it took us 45 minutes to write and about six months to learn it. Uh, but it was great. And, you know, when you hear Randy Hauser sing, you know, having him as one of my first big cuts and, and then be, be a single, he is one of the best singers yeah. that's ever come through this town. So hearing his voice explode through the speakers that way was, man, it was an experience. Um, and I think when we all heard Randy's version, we are like, all right, I think this is going to do, this is going to do all right. And it did. It was... Uh, it was fantastic. And, you know, it's crazy. They say Nashville's a 10-year town. It went number one one month after what would have been my 10-year anniversary. No way. I swear to God. It was, like, literally to the day one month later. I just kept hoping it would go number one in February. Wow. And uh, cause, uh, I moved here in February 6th of 2000, February 8th of 2006, and it went, like, March 1st. It's like, oh, so close to being exactly 10 years. But yeah, ten years. It's so true, though. I mean, I, I watched that happen for so many people, and like, oh yeah, 
And it's the ones, you know, like I've also seen a lot of great talent pack up and leave after seven, eight years. And it's yeah, like, yeah, you know, it's um, it's easy to move here thinking like, you know, you could sell out some little club in your small town, wherever you're from, or you're playing Friday nights at O'Charlie's and you're packing the place and people know your stuff. Moving here, you start to realize, yes, you might be talented, but there are 200, 300 people in line, just as talented, if not yep. more, and some less talented, but you have to yeah, know yeah. that coming here, it's the talent pool is, I mean, it is so deep. And uh, I'm still amazed sometimes, even when I write with younger writers, how good some of them are. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, you know, uh, I could barely remember what it was like being in my 20s moving here, you know, yeah. so I'm 41 now, but it's, um, there's always some new, new crop of talent looking to take your place so you have to stay on your a-game yeah that's, that's imperative in nashville 100 percent. yeah man i i uh yeah it's running around you know when i first moved here um it was the same thing you know just like you know i i grew up in st louis uh-huh and you know we had a very successful band and mm-hmm. um Lyric Street Records. Oh yeah, I remember got, Lyric Street. I Doug, remember Undemory. Yeah, huge yeah, band. huge. Yeah, Rascal yeah. Flats, and like mm-hmm. you know, Doug Howard was the one that brought me to town. Yep. And um, you know, I remember moving here, thinking, man, this is I'm gonna be like, it's gonna it's gonna take me like a couple months, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna be on the radio and all, yeah and, and yeah and then figuring out like, holy crap, like this is yeah. like. Everybody, everybody that you hear, pretty much. I mean, you go to a karaoke bar, and it's like, I know, wow. So, yeah. Um, what still amazes me, even more so than lyrical and melodic writing, is the studio musicians. Like, oh I will gosh. still go to Ilya's studio and track one-offs, yeah, and to watch how fast those guys work. And I mean, they're obviously they use the number chart, which apparently only that's only done in Nashville, which is really yeah. cool. But the way they're their brains work and you hear a song one way and they can hear it entirely different, put a different drum beat to a different guitar lick. And they're just such exceptional musicians. And I wish the world got a view into Nashville studio sessions because Mm. it's mind blowing. Yeah. Still after all this time here, I just watch those guys in awe. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Like I'm going to sit down with some of them Mm -hmm. at some point, like this podcast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Um, you know, this, this podcast is obviously the stories behind the songs. Most of who I'm sitting with Mm -hmm. is songwriters to hear the stories behind those songs that people hear on the radio and all that. But that's the goal is I want to sit down with producers, with the studio guys, with the road guys, you know, that are like, that that are killing it on the road, setting up stages all day long for, you know, it's just, there's so much that happens behind the scenes in in this industry. Behind the front man. Everybody thinks the front man is where it starts and ends and it's not. Yeah. There's just so much that goes into that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So Randy, um, is the first one. Yeah. And then how quickly after that was the, your catalog of songs kind of opened up, um, and did like, give me the timeline of like from, from Randy's number one to like when the next thing happened. My next, my next hit was with Brett Eldridge, uh, the long way, uh, that, that happened. My boss at Sony, who I've been writing under now since 2017, Josh Van Valkenburg, uh, he called me one night, and I, w- I wasn't writing for Sony at the time, but he um, he called me, and and uh, at the time, we didn't speak a ton on the phone, so I knew if he's calling me, something's up. 
And he just said, hey, man, Brett wants to write with some new guys. And I'm a huge Brett Aldridge fan, I think. Again, yeah. just like Randy, there Vocalist. are certain singers that yep. um, just unmatched. Yep. And when you sit in the room with these guys, like I've, I've written with Randy, I've written with Brett. And when you hear them sing, you understand why they are revered. Um, so I got together with Brett. And uh, it was just the two of us, first time we ever wrote. We've since gone on to write a ton of songs together with buddies. But that one, uh, it just landed. And it was at a really good time, too, because my my deal uh, was coming to an end, and I was going over to Sony. So it, it's one of those things, again, right time, right time, right place, writing the song with Brad. He was working on a new record, um, and it just... It just worked out that he singled it, and I was going into Sony. So um, that one was—I'll say that didn't go number one. Went to number two. It got stuck behind that colossal Florida Georgia Line uh, "Baby Rexa" song, "Meant to Be," which was like a—it <laughs> was like a thirty-week number one or something. So um, the good thing is, number one, number two, it all pays. The hey, same. yeah, and it's—it's yep. it's sat in the top five for months. So um, again, just a, a massive song. And it was a two-way, which as, as a songwriter, yeah. splitting less of the pie is always yep. great. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, We Went was number one in 2016. That uh, Long Way didn't peak until 2018. So, you know, these things don't happen generally for most writers, like, overnight. Right. You, know, you don't have, like, every month you have a song on the radio. It just doesn't happen. It happens for some writers, but most of us, you know, it's here, a little bit there, and you just, you know... Keep writing them and hope they land. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Brit Skin Beauty. Located in the beautiful Indulgence Medi Spa in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Brittany is the go-to esthetician for facials, dermaplaning, microdermabrasion, waxing, lashes, and any skincare products and consultations. So many people in the music industry use her frequently, and her work speaks for itself. To schedule your next consultation or make an appointment, visit BritSkinBeauty.com or send an email to BritSkinBeauty at gmail.com. And so how did you get involved in um, writing in Canada? And you, you've had you've had multiple success yeah. hits in there. So, um, well, I, I wrote for Olay, which is Canadian owned. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, songs. You know, I, I still think Canada is a very viable, lucrative market, and uh, I had a Dallas Smith number one up there, and it just got pitched randomly. We weren't writing with Dallas or anything like that. And it went number one. Um, I've gotten to know Brett Kissel really well, and he's super mm. successful up there. Yeah. Um, but kind of just meeting, I met a bunch of Canadian artists when I wrote for LA, and I just send them stuff. And if they like it, um, they'll hit me back. And if they don't, they move on. But um, I think just publishers pitching songs out, and you know, and if they don't land in America, I would rather it lands somewhere else than just sit on a shelf. So the Canadian thing has just happened randomly. Yeah. But now I've gotten to know some of those guys, which is really good. Um, so I actually have a, a single right now with Brett Kissel. So, um, yeah, it's it's been, you know, it's it's it doesn't pay as much as an American hit, but it'll put your kids through daycare. Yeah, and yeah. I've got two of them in daycare. And I yeah. Need it, so. Yeah, we've uh, we've we've had some discussions about about the kids and speaking of oh, um that's a that's a great segue i don't know if you plan that but that's a I great did segue. Not. uh so my five-year-old jackson yeah. i've texted you a couple times uh-huh. of some videos of oh, him yeah. but dude it was like it was also like it's just so cool watching uh 
watching till you can't mm -hmm. kind of rise and um, just being able to watch you perform it here sure. before it before it ever really got there. And then yeah. it's like such a great song um, that that I loved from day one, the first I time I heard that. it. So I was playing it over and yeah. over. And it was just one of those songs that that Jackson, my son, mm -hmm. just like just gravitated towards yeah, and like i mean he's just rocking out standing on top of the coffee table yeah. just like i mean i i, I think, I think kids have a kids have a, a sense they do with hit songs I, re I really think they do that's uh and that's awesome i mean he knows every word yeah. uh i mean you know all the kids do but um yeah it's just it's been really cool so let's talk about that because that's that's uh obviously a, a recent just smash yeah and you've you've got some cool cool stuff about that so Walk me through that one. Um, Till You Can't was written almost seven years ago. Uh, me and my my buddy Ben Stennis, uh, we've been writing together for a long time. We make it a point to always two-way write. Usually once a month, we'll hop on Zoom or I'll show up at his office down in Music Row. And we just storyboard ideas. Um, we write a ton with other people, but we've, we've made it a point to always just write together. And uh, that was a two-way, me and him. Um... You know, it had been passed around town for years, and it, it always got a great response. Like, hey, this is, you know, great lyric. We love the song, but just not what we're looking for. Uh, it's funny because now on the tip sheet it says Blake Shelton's looking for it until you can't. <laughs> we pitched it to Blake <laughs> many times. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I think Ben and I always knew, like, we liked the song. But as a songwriter, you're so hyper-focused on the next song. So after a couple of years go by, it really starts to fade in your rear view. So it got put on hold with Cody. And um, like I knew Cody was big in Texas. Um, I loved the song he had on my way to you mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years back, which my buddy Tony Lane was a co-writer on. So I knew he had um, commercial success to a degree, but we didn't know what to expect when he cut Till You Can't. Then we got to hear it. And that was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and kind of like when I play it here, I, I no longer have to sing the chorus. The crowd sings it. I think you can have a number one and it not be a hit. There's a difference. Yeah. That song, to me, is the biggest hit I've ever had because I no longer have to sing it. And that's not really happened to me before. Um, and I knew it was going to be a hit for Cody. I saw him play at the Ryman um, it was right after he released Till You Can't. He was teasing new songs from the record. And I'm sitting there. I was with my father-in-law. And the song had only been out for a couple weeks. And the entire Ryman sang it. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're on to something here. And he still had not said it was officially going to be the single. Um, but that song has truly taken on a life of its own. And one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, despite the awards that that song has been given, um, Right here at this front table, I played it one night, and after the show, a gentleman came up to me and um, told me that his father was a huge Cody Johnson fan, and his father was was dying. Mm. And, and he said to me, he goes, my father asked for that song to be his send-away song. Oh, wow. And that's the, type of, that's the type of shit that just doesn't happen every day. Yeah. And that was, like, when I knew that's something special, because people don't just say that about every song. And... You know, uh, I never got the guy's name. He just shook my hand, told me that. And I stepped back, and then you start seeing 
all these social media videos of people using it at funerals and graduations yeah. and weddings. And yeah, that, that song really took on a life of its own. Yeah. And um, Cody take, sold it. Take me back to, um, take me back to the writer's room. Um, was there like, you know, the, the, the story, um, in the song, like, mm -hmm. um, fixing the car and, yeah. you know, fishing and all that, mm -hmm. like, were those personal, uh, you know, things that you had kind of gone through or just, just being creative and coming up with, you know, great, right. Yeah. I think Ben had the idea of till you can't, and his idea for it was exactly what we wrote about. Um, but we, we probably wrote eight or nine verses because it, it, it was just going through all the different things you can do, taking a vacation with your family, yeah. um, playing guitar with your dad, fishing, fixing up a car. I mean, there's so many scenarios and we had to whittle it down, but I know Ben works on vehicles a lot. So the car thing, uh, that was, that was big with him. Um, fishing is just something for the most part, especially with country audiences, that's the one activity it seems like if yeah. people could do one more thing with their grandfather or yeah. their father or their son, that would be it. So that, that one went, you know, kind of without saying, um, it, but it's crazy because when we wrote till you can't, um, fast forward to 2018 and my mom had a stroke. Mm, yeah. So the bridge about calling your mom, I, I talked to my mom every single day before she had her stroke. She called me, she was on her way to lunch or whatever. You know, how was your ride today? You know, and that was an everyday thing. Yeah. And I, I, I almost always took the call unless, you know, I was on my way somewhere and I didn't have time. But um, I miss that. And I think that bridge, people people have talked to me about, man, you know, I just wish I could talk to my dad one more time. or My grandma or my mom. That one, that bridge seems to really resonate with people. So when I listen to Till You Can't Now or when I sing it live, it's an entirely different meaning to me. Yeah. And yeah, I think Ben and I just channeled what most people wish they had more time to do. Yeah. No, man. Yeah. You've, you've told me that story. I, I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I but, will say, yeah, so I don't forget. And I have to say this. Um, we got to perform at, at NSAI's 10 songs event at the Ryman. Oh yeah. The Ryman has been a bucket list for me and my dad and mom were sitting there front row. Mm. That to me, I don't necessarily know I'm ever going to have a career moment. That means more to me than that. That was like, always wanted to play the rhyme. And my dad has seen shows here and he, you know, he loves the rhyme. And I just remember walking out on stage with Ben and I looked down and there was my mom. And I was like, man, Dude. I can't believe that she's there. Yeah. So that song has, has afforded me a lot of really cool opportunities. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I love it, dude. Man. Yeah. You've, you've, uh, you've killed it. I know, uh, you're, you're just going to keep, keep rocking and, so. um, we're going to get back together and, uh, you know, talk about the next 10 years. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Well, that's that's the goal, man. Yeah. I'd love to stick around town for as long as I can. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I always like to ask um, in wrapping up yeah. is uh, if you could go back to that eight-year-old you. Yeah. Um, or someone that might be listening to this yeah. that is aspiring to be a songwriter or an artist. Yeah. What would you tell yourself or that person, you know, like knowing what you know now? back then um i think if you really love something and you want to do it you you have to go i think you would regret it if you didn't go for it but you have to be able to stick it out that's to me the only way to be successful in nashville is to move here and say 
this is what I want to do and I will do it at all costs because it takes forever. It's really, really hard. And it doesn't, it doesn't always matter how talented you might be. Um, there's just so much competition, but the reward, if you stick it out, it's worth it. I, I, I think so. I love my job to be able to call my hobby, my career. Um, I don't think that's something everybody gets to do, but, um, it's worth it. You just got to be able to stick it out. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's great. You're, you're in a great place too. I think that, you know, that helps Sony ATV is such a, it's, it's a best. great publishing it company. Best. It's a, it is the best. Um, and I'm, I'm great friends with Josh. We yeah. went through leadership music together oh, yeah. uh, several years ago. He's a Josh, great dude. He's so my, he's yeah. my man. He's, yeah. He talks me off of all of my ledges. I tell him, man, sometimes I just call him up and I'm mad about something and he just <laughs> tells me you're doing everything right. Every, every writer needs that, that champion. And Josh has been an absolutely perfect one for me. That's, that's great. Yep. We'll make sure that, uh, we tag him in this and yeah. make sure he hears that part. So, yeah. well, man, um, anything else that, uh, you, you'd want to tell anybody that's listening? Well, tune in, listen and watch all the songwriters. If you want to learn about the industry and how Nashville works, this is the perfect format for it. Yeah. This is a good insight. You're doing great things, man. I think this is, to me, people revere the Bluebird, and I love it, but I think this is this is now the spot in Nashville. Everybody wants to play mm, here. Man. It is the best songwriter room. Every time I play here, I look forward to it, and just being an advocate for songwriters, um, it means the world to all of us. And I don't know if everybody tells you that, but mm. I hope you know that. Thank you, man. It means a lot. You got it. Well, thanks for uh, sitting down with me today. And, uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, can't wait. All right. Thank you guys for listening. This is Chris Blair with Stories Behind the Songs with Matt Rogers. See you next time. This has been an episode of Stories Behind the Songs with Chris Blair. For more information after the show, head over to chrisblair.com. That's where you can find information on these episodes, trailer notes, video links, all kinds of great stuff. Also, make sure to leave us a great rating on iTunes. Like and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. I really hope that you think this show is awesome and we really appreciate the love and support. I promise to keep gathering great content and continuing to sit down with more amazing songwriters and artists as we grow. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next time.